This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss measuring and rewarding for value with Dr. Kate Goodrich, Director of CMS's Center for Clinical Standards and Quality and CMS's Chief Medical Officer. Kate, welcome to the program. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Dr. Goodrich's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, as I've noted previously, Americans are forced to spend over $1 trillion annually on health care that is of low or no value. That is health care that does not improve one's health status. While Medicare officials have implemented numerous value-based payment programs and demonstrations this year, these arrangements financially reward either quality or reduced spending growth. They do not reward value or spending efficiency defined as quality or outcomes achieved relative to spending. On November 1st, CMS published the agency's final 2020 Medicare Quality Payment Program rule that announced beginning in 2021, CMS will institute MVPs, or Merit-Based Incentive Payment System Value Pathways. These value pathways will be created to financially incent and reward quote-unquote high-value clinicians. This means CMS will begin to measure and reward Medicare physician performance based on value or spending efficiency or, again, outcomes achieved relative to spending. Listeners may recall I discussed measuring for healthcare value or spending efficiency with University of Michigan professor Ryan, uh, Andrew Ryan, excuse me, this past May 11th. And in later May, I posted a, on the website a related essay I wrote for Bloomberg Law. Again, with me to discuss measuring and rewarding value under Medicare, specifically Part B, Physician Compensation, and CMS's Dr. Kate Goodrich. So, Kate, uh, with that as background, let's get into this um, uh, MVP initiative. As you're well aware, in 20, the 2015 macro legislation, replace the Medicare Sustainable Growth Rate formula used to update annually Medicare physician reimbursement with MIPS. Again, MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. MIPS measures and rewards physician performance using four categories, quality cost, improvement activities, and promoting IT interoperability. So with that, uh, just brief description for those not uh, familiar MVPs, what I'm, I'm assuming based on the proposed and final rule language, leverage these four components to constitute an MVP. So maybe the best way to start is by asking you to describe however generally a specific MVP or an MVP, say, for a certain high-cost or high-prevalent diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely a big change for the program. And we were really trying to solve a couple of problems uh, by by uh, proposing and then ultimately finalizing the MVP framework. 
One is that there's been a lot of criticism, and I think a lot of it justified, that a lot of the measures that are being used in the program are of low value. So they may be process measures that measure a process of care that everybody's doing, and so everybody scores, you know, 98 and above. <laughs> um, it's really hard to differentiate performance between providers reporting on that measure when everybody's doing that well. And quite frankly, these are often uh, steps along the way to a clinical outcome that the steps are in and of themselves not that high value and don't contribute greatly to patient outcomes. So why are they being used in a value program? So that's number one. Number two, um, uh, we were really trying to address a concern we've heard primarily from clinicians, which is while this program is confusing, you've got these four categories, there's all this stuff in each of the categories. I've got to figure out each category. It's really hard. CMS, please just tell me what you want me to report, but make sure you make it relevant to my practice. And so that was sort of the second problem. One, getting to measures um, and a program that truly is measuring value, and then number two, reducing some of the confusion and sort of handing clinicians a package of measures that make sense for their practice. And we also need to, of course, be able to discern performance across physicians as, or clinicians as required by the law. So uh, in working with our stakeholders, we came up with this MVP framework. And what this does is it allows for comparing clinicians mostly across the spectrum. There's always going to be some exceptions because the scope, or sorry, the variability of the scope of physician practice is so wide. It's hard to measure everybody on the exact same thing. But there are some things that we think that most clinicians can be measured on in pretty much the same way. And so we sort of think of that as like the base set of measures that everybody or nearly everybody ought to be measured on. So that really fits a couple of categories. One is promoting interoperability. Um, and the second is a set of what we call population health administrative claims measures. So think of these as measures like avoidable hospitalizations for patients with multiple chronic conditions or hospital-wide readmissions or avoidable ER visits. These are measures that we can derive from administrative claims that, frankly, almost every clinician in the healthcare system um, ought to be working towards to improve the health of communities and populations. Um, so that's sort of your base set of measures that everybody would be measured on um, and that we could really compare clinicians to one another because everybody's being measured on the same thing. And then you have a set of measures that everybody would report on uh, that are unique to that clinician's or that group practice's practice. So let's take orthopedic surgery as an example. Um, so for orthopedic surgery, you would have a set of quality and cost metrics as well as improvement activities because, remember, those are the other three categories in addition to um, promoting interoperability are clinical quality, uh, cost, um, also sometimes called resource use, and improvement activities. So if I'm an orthopedic surgeon who does hip replacements all day, then I could report on a small set of clinical quality measures, let's say improvement in functional status after hip replacement. And then I would have the hip replacement episode-based measure, which is a cost measure attributed to me that CMS would calculate, so I don't have to do anything there um, in terms of what I actually submit. 
And then I might have a couple of improvement activities that are specifically focused on improving quality of care for patients with uh, who are getting a hip replacement. Or they may be general improvement activities that are good for all patients, like having access to uh, clinicians in my practice uh, on weekends and late hours, for example, or something like that. And we would basically have what I think of as these packages, if you will, of measures that are specific for a particular specialty or a particular condition that clinicians would then be responsible for reporting on, in addition to that other package of measures that we would really, that, that everybody reports on, which is promoting interoperability or the population measures that we would calculate. And we would make those available for people to easily find and choose for their method of participation within the MIPS program. Does that help? Yes. Okay. Thank you. So just uh, summarizing, so there'll be the global or universal global or population health measures, you note, and then there would be measures specific to the, my understanding is that practices majority of patients or their specialty. And this uh, latter point gets at this complaint about the current MIPS, which is it isn't an apples to apples uh, comparison that people can select randomly from a long list of hundreds of measures, and it's difficult then to uh, score them uh, under one system because they're all reporting on on different measures. So de facto, you have this subset of MIPS performance. Wouldn't that be de facto the case? Uh, yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Okay, so apples to apples, and then of course these would then the un- inherent addition point you make is that now these measures are more relevant uh, to the specifics of of the practice. Let me um, let me uh, ask you a bit more in specifics. I, I know you are a supporter, enthusiast of what are termed patient-reported outcome measures, and yep. could you say how these will factor in, or might these factor more greatly or more into mm-hmm. the MVP program? Yeah, I think in the um, ideal world, every one of these MVPs would have at least one patient-reported outcome measure as part of it, because those really are the highest value measures, right? They actually um, come from the voice of the patient about whether or not they've gotten better, right? So I use the orthopedic example very intentionally (laughs) because we have a patient-reported outcome measure um, that is related to improvement in or change in functional status after hip or knee replacement actually is what the measure is. So it's both hips and knees. And in the ideal world, every clinician that sees patients would be able to have a patient-reported outcome measure um, available to them that, uh, that could be part of these packages. The reality today in 2019 is there are very few of these measures right now. And the reason for that is not for lack of of wanting these measures. Um, Actually, I would say most certainly patients and increasingly more and more clinicians really see the value in these measures and think they're important and much more important than a lot of the measures that are in use today. The challenge in them really has to do with um, the data source for the measures, and I'm not going to dive into the weeds here very much, but just to say um, these measures are harder to construct and to get data for than other types of measures. 
Having said that, there is a lot of progress and a lot of work going on, not just at CMS, but across uh, a lot of other people who are in the measure development space um, to develop more of these measures and improve the science of these types of measures. But our vision is to have much broader availability of these kinds of measures that frankly could ultimately replace some of the measures that are available now for specialties that probably just aren't as high value. And, of course, the benefit, they reduce the clinician's burden for collecting and reporting. Let, let me ask about uh, the cost uh, component here because, again, this is all about instead of just measuring on a set or accumulating performance on a set of measures, it's really measuring a ratio or a numerator over denominator, quality or an outcome over spending. So on the cost measure, the one predominant one that's being used is Medicare spending per beneficiary, the MSPB measure. How might these cost measures evolve under MVP? Yeah, so, you know, even in our legacy programs, like PQRS and the physician value modifier in particular, we were measuring cost. I think the challenge was that if you're a clinician who's participating in that program, you know, the cost measure that's being, that, you know, you're being held accountable for may not feel very relevant to you and may not be related to the ways in which you're being held accountable for quality. Mm-hmm. So the, there's actually two measures currently in the MIPS program that are the most prevalent. You mentioned one, that's the Medicare spending per beneficiary, which is really focused on inpatient care that's provided, so probably going to be attributed more to hospital-based clinicians. But actually the one that is attributed to the most clinicians is called um, the total per capita cost measure. Mm-hmm. Think of that as a total cost of care measure. And that really is mostly primary care focused. I say mostly because there are some specialists out there who actually serve as primary care clinicians for patients. Think of your nephrologist, for example, and sometimes an endocrinologist or a diabetologist may, you know, actually provide more primary care services and and a patient may not have a primary care physician. But one of the things that the macro legislation did is it said, okay, HHS needs to um, develop more cost measures that are relevant for specific specialties and episodes of care. Um, And it doesn't require us to link those measures to quality, but I think that was the intent behind Mm -hmm. the legislation. And so that's something we've been working very hard to do. Um, And so we've developed a number of what we call episode-based payment uh, measures, which are cost or resource measures around episodes of care, hip and knee replacement being one, you know, cardiac catheterization is another. Uh, There's a variety of them. And we're also looking at episode-based cost measures that are relevant for chronic conditions as well. Um, The idea would be to um, have clinicians report on quality measures that are clinically and in the ideal world even statistically aligned with the uh, cost measure. Uh, We actually do this now in the hospital program where we have cost and quality measures that were actually developed in tandem very intentionally to um, mirror one another, essentially. So they use the same risk adjustment models. They actually have the same definition for the patient population or the denominator, for example. Um, And in the ideal world, we'd be able to get there on the outpatient side with clinicians as well. Um, So that is something that we're working toward. 
Um, I will say, just to be you know perfectly honest, that's a longer journey, and part of the reason for that is that while CMS is working hard on these cost measures, you know most of the quality measures that are used were actually developed by the relevant specialty societies. So many of the cardiology measures, for example, uh, were developed by um, by uh, ACC uh, or AHA, um, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing, um, but they may not actually be constructed in exactly the same way. But I think if we can even get to a place where a cardiologist who does cardiac casts all day is reporting quality measures that are relevant to the outcomes of their patients on whom they are doing the cardiac catheterizations, and they're being held accountable for costs using an episode-based payment measure that is about the episode of cardiac catheterization, even if they're not 100% constructed exactly the same from a statistical or methodologic standpoint, that still gets you much closer to a real uh, assessment of value than the current state. Okay, uh, thank you. So the final rule, as the uh, proposed, did note that in developing MVPs, CMS will collaborate with stakeholders in developing these. So I'm assuming you'll hold some public meetings or do webinars to uh, take input, is that correct? Yeah, we're in the process right now of thinking about exactly, very tactically, what our strategy is going to be. There will be public opportunities um, for people to weigh in. There's going to necessarily be also some more um, what I'll call sort of in-the-weeds work um, with some of the specialty societies, and I would argue also patient groups, um, to uh, determine what's the sort of right set of measures for any given MVP. Um, and there's not going to, right out of the gate, be enough MVPs for every clinician that participates in, in MIPS, simply because there are some areas where there just aren't uh, either any measures or very good measures that could make up an MVP. Um, but we are increasingly seeing specialty societies develop measures that are actually, I would say, more advanced and more relevant and of higher value. So I think we'll get there. Um, I just think it's not going to be within the first year that every single specialty is going to be able to be covered. Well, that begs my follow-up question, which is, and this was discussed, and you took comments on this, and that is whether MVP, at least initially, will be mandatory or voluntary. And I'm going to assume it seems to tend more towards it at least initially in the early stages being the latter or voluntary? Well, we would have to go through rulemaking to determine right. that, you know, for sure. So I can't really say what it would be. We did get a lot of comments on this. I think one of the things that we heard from a lot of folks is, we love this idea. It's great. However, it does take time to get right. Um, and so I think we've heard that loud and clear. Um, and that uh, people, not just specialty societies, but patient organizations and others, really, really, really want to be involved in the creation mm -hmm. of them, which mm -hmm. we think is a great thing. Um, and we do want to get it right. <laughs> um, so that is going to certainly, in part, dictate the timeline. And, uh, you know, at what point do we uh, determine that it ought to be voluntary and should it transition to mandatory at any point? Those are things that we still have to, I think, figure out um, over the coming year. Uh, TBD, and you did note in the final that you did receive 2,100 comments, uh, so mm -hmm. a lot of uh, interest and uh, pining on the proposed. Let me ask you, I was curious when I read this, that uh, what's the relationship between moving in this direction with MVPs um, to improving uh, productivity? We do know there's research that shows that compared to other industries, the healthcare uh, 
industry has lagged in productivity gains. But so do you see this as I would assume if you're increasing or improving value, there is commensurate benefit in making uh, healthcare delivery uh, or the, the dollar spent on delivery uh, providing greater increased productivity gain. Well, I would think, you know, I think it stands to reason that those things ought to be related. Whether they actually are related, I mm-hmm. think, remains to be seen. Um, you know, we certainly have a view that hold, doing two things, holding clinicians accountable for outcomes, so the what and not so much the how, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can allow for creativity um, and, you know, you're also holding folks accountable for cost. Um, and so uh, at the same time, again, hopefully related to what you're being held accountable for, for, for quality. And so that ought to lead to more efficiency. At the same time, though, I think that you really do need to um, take concrete action to reduce the burden on clinicians of the sort of what it takes to collect data. These, you know, sometimes these measures lead to significant interruptions in workflow. So, you know, our agency has been very focused on reducing provider burden, certainly very focused on clinician burden through our paper, patients over paperwork mm-hmm. initiative. And we've actually put a lot of things in place, including another major, um, uh, proposal that we finalized this year around uh, changing documentation requirements for evaluation and management right. visits. Um, and so we think you have to do those things in parallel. I think it's very hard to ask, you know, a clinician in either a solo or a small group practice or really in any practice to really transform how they deliver care through that practice to take in, in order to be able to successfully take on financial risk. Um, if you don't at the same time help them understand what it is they have to do to do that, but also reduce burden that is non-value-add for their patients at the same time. So I think those things do have to go in hand-in-hand, in hand in hand, and I think the goal would be over time that that would improve productivity. Okay, thank you. Let me go to another uh, component of, of this, and that is this is the harmonization issue question. Um, MedPAC, amongst others, have made note that uh, – for example, between and amongst fee-for-service Medicare, the Medicare Insured Savings Program, or ACOs, and Medicare Advantage, uh, they all operate under largely uh, different rules. So it is, speaking of burden on providers, it is confusing. So um, to what extent, and I realize th- the answer is, here is largely uh, it will evolve, but to what extent do you see, at least in this early stage, uh, MVP, influencing or forming uh, the other half of macro legislation, which is the alternative uh, payment model pathway, and even Medicare Advantage or Part C Medicare. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm sure you and uh, I presume many of your listeners are aware that at the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network a couple of weeks ago, uh, Secretary Azar announced some pretty bold goals for transitioning into, uh, you know, towards getting towards 100% of payments out Mm -hmm. of Medicare uh, through alternative payment models, uh, categories three and four. So not just something that's MIPS-like where you are toggling up and down payment uh, based upon a multiplier, but, you know, actually changing the way you pay. Um, And so, uh, you know, in in light of that, and certainly even before that announcement was made as we were, you know, uh, working on this here at CMS, 
you know, moving in uh, cl- providers, not just clinicians, but all providers uh, into alternative methods of payment really needs to be an agency-wide effort. It is not just the responsibility of one component. Um, and as it being, uh, you know, with it being an agency-wide effort, there's multiple parts of the agency, and you've mentioned the programs that come out of the different parts of the agency um, that need to be working together um, in lockstep. Um, to uh, really focus on sharing the same goals and to the extent possible, um, aligning up, you know, the measures and processes and that kind of thing. So as as I know you know, David, there are different statutes governing Mm -hmm. each of those programs. So 100% perfect alignment is really challenging, but I think there are definitely are things that we can do that we haven't even done yet at CMS. So um, what I would say to you and your listeners is that um, this is a major focus for the agency right now um, as to how we can um, uh, line up um, as much as possible uh, MIPS, uh, the Shared Savings Program, Medicare Advantage, and then Innovation Center models. You know, I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the things that we were trying to do with the MVPs was to essentially make it a glide path for mm-hmm. clinicians uh, to get ready for APMs. Um, we have some. We have had goals around uh, moving clinicians into APMs as part of the quality payment program, even before these larger goals for for Medicare were announced. And we've actually seen a significant uptick in clinicians participating in APMs. But one of the things that we've heard through our technical assistance efforts is, boy, it's, this is hard to do, and I really need some guidance on how I need to change my practice to do this. And um, when I, you know, the things I'm held accountable for in an APM don't feel the same as what I've been held accountable for under MIPS or the legacy programs. And so that really spoke to us as um, sort of an urgent need, if we're going to have these bold goals, to change the MIPS program to get people ready for taking on financial risk and and being part of an APM. Now, you can't make the MIPS program exactly like an APM because then it wouldn't be the MIPS program (laughs) and and they'd just all be APMs. But what we thought was, okay, we really need to get better at aligning quality and cost. That was a big part of it. Um, which I've already spoken a lot about. Um, and I think we also need to be working with our colleagues in the Innovation Center um, to understand um, and to think together about how we should be holding providers accountable for quality of cost, like specifically with what measures in what way. Um, and so we are doing that. Um, and then with the Shared Savings Program, you know, the measures that are part of the Shared Savings Program are also part of MIPS. They're really, it's, it's you know, the GPRO web interface you're probably very familiar with, mm-hmm. which is is a standard set of, of measures that are mostly primary care focused. Um, but we want to take another sort of fresh look at that. That's been around a long time. Uh, one of the things that we hear a lot from uh, clinicians in large group practices and even in ACOs is these are all primary care focused, and that's great for primary care clinicians. But it's not really measuring the quality of care in other aspects of our practice, and we think that's important. Um, so we have to think about how do we deal with that issue while minimizing, again, the burden, but also ensuring that across the board, across, you know, uh, shared savings program, MIPS, and APMs, that we are, you know, essentially holding people accountable for similar kinds of things and where, where it makes sense for, for really the exact same thing. Right. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned uh, HCP LAN, that bridge, because, of course, that's all a part of this. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So this may be my last question, that is, you know, how much can you uh, consider or take in with this reform? And since, uh, just by way of uh, example, you're probably well aware, in September, a National Academy of Sciences was out with a consensus study integrating social care into the delivery of health care. So there's a renewed interest uh, in social determinants of health. Uh, to what extent... Uh, will that be factored into driving or rewarding value under MVPs? Yeah, that's a really important question. That's something that I think we've been thinking a lot about for actually a few years now. Um, As you know, under the Impact Act, um, the Secretary's Office was required to do some research and make some recommendations around how we can factor in uh, we, we sort of take into calling it social risk, but it really means the same thing, social mm-hmm. determinants of health, uh, into our programs. And I think, you know, there's two big issues here. One is um, how do you make sure that you are fairly assessing providers who care for those at the highest social risk in a way that is fair to them and doesn't unintentionally reduce access to good quality of care for patients who are at higher social risk. I think that's a big concern, right? Um, And at the same time, though, I think it's really important to make sure that um, providers are held accountable for uh, the same level of care quality for all patients, and that, that threshold care should not be lower for patients who have who are more vulnerable and have higher social risk right mm-hmm. um, and so there's a lot of ways you can think about this we've um, we've kind of approached it frankly in slightly different ways um, for different programs and part of that has to do with the way the programs are set up uh, by law or by regulation um, and part of it has to do with the fact that no one's really come up with a single right answer for how you deal with this Um, So, for example, in MIPS, um, what we have done so far um, is that we have um, uh, essentially added on uh, a set of bonus points uh, depending upon your case mix as a practice. I'm going to use the term case mix a little loosely because we look at two things. We look at uh, clinical complexity based upon uh, comorbidities that are coded on the claim, and then we look at the proportion of patients who are dual eligible, which lots of people argue, and and I would agree, is not a perfect way um, to assess social risk given the variation across states and how they define Medicaid eligibility, for example. So um, so that's how, what we're doing for now. It is a bit crude, um, but I think it's reasonable to do for now. You know, in our legacy program, the Physician Value Modifier, we also had a way that we could actually award um, sort of additional, we didn't really use bonus points, but additional credit, if you will, if you were a practice that took good care of your uh, mostly complex patients, you had a high proportion of complex patients, and you actually did well on quality of cost, you got quite a bit of extra um, incentive for doing that. Um, and that's what we want to be able to reward. So I think as we are um, looking at the evolving literature and study around this issue, we are participating in that work. We are keeping a close eye on that work so that we can figure out what's really the best way to deal with this um, uh, very complex issue fairly while still incentivizing the highest quality of care for the most vulnerable patients. So it's an issue that is very front of mind for us. And the last thing I will say, David, is that you know, I think through some of the innovation center models, there may be opportunities to think about how to 
incentivize high quality care for patients at high social risk, um, sort of outside of the traditional Medicare statutory and regulatory structures where we do have limitations sometimes. Um, and so that's just an area that I know my colleagues at the Innovation Center and our colleagues in our Office of Minority Health um, are continuing to think about as we're designing new models going forward. Okay, and this gets at, uh, we don't have time, but this gets at, of course, the health equity, health justice issue. Um, and uh, I, I'll maybe just encourage you here and not pose this as a question since you probably were this past week, the Society of Improved Diagnosis in Medicine met, had their conference. We know from the 2015 National Academy report, and then you know NQF just put out a report recently that diagnostic errors contribute to about 10% of deaths each year. So I would hope mm-hmm. that at some point value is defined as including uh, diagnosis or measuring the accuracy of diagnoses. Um, yeah. So, okay, with that, Kate, we're sadly at our time boundary, but I uh, genuinely appreciate this timely overview of what I think is a very important initiative, and I wish you every luck in getting this out uh, in not uh, too distant future, uh, 14 months, I guess. So I wish you uh, all the best. Thank you again. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.